Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. Guess who's back? Steve. Still doing that shit, Andre? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Check me out. It's still Trey Day, nigga. AK, nigga. Though I've grown a lot, can't keep it home a lot. Cause when I frequent the spots that I'm known to rock, you hear the bass from the truck when I'm Hi, on the Hi, everybody. <laughs> the Lookout Landing Podcast is back thank you so much for your patience my name is matthew robertson i fucked off to idaho for a bit to do what can only be described as extreme chilling and it was a great time uh you know when your brain is working a little too well and you got to take yourself down a few notches uh that's exactly what i did and i'm glad that it happened Uh, although i did get a speeding ticket on the way back they uh they caught me on my Akon shit doing 90 and a 65. What? So it's in Davenport, Washington, a couple clicks yeah. south of nowhere, real easy to drive, super fast. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a classic case of I am in the wrong here. When they pulled me over, I was like, yeah, like there's no, there's no debate here. I was going far too fast. State trooper uh, name redacted for his safety. Um, but I'm sorry, that's what 90. happened to me. 90 like you would have had an argument at like 80 85 90 Mm. though come on buddy Mm, technically it was 98 in a 70 but neither here nor there (laughs) that's so very here i had places to be kate you know how it is you've been on those roads i don't i've never once in my life driven a car that could reach 98 miles an hour like my 1988 subaru could not hit 90 
What the fuck are you, Fast and the Furious out here? What is this? What is this? My life. I'm, I'm trying to relate to our to our audience here with our uh, our fast living listeners. I'm sure yeah. they've yeah. had their fair share of speeding tickets or you know shenanigans in Davenport, Washington, a place that totally exists. I found out. That is, that, that's not quite deep enough from Spokane to hit the hit the near triple digits. I feel. Oh, like. you know where it is. I. Well, I know it's on Highway Two, and I know it's like generally like straight west of spokane uh i had teammates from near there and yeah once you once you get like in the middle of like that is prime triple digis area triple digis uh, come on come on i'm not i'm not saying you should frequent it i'm just saying i feel like i feel like you everyone wants to drive 100 once and then a small section of people want to do it a lot and I don't, sure, but I want to have sure. done it okay. once. And so that's a great place to do it, where it's pretty straight, it's yep. pretty chill. Yep. And uh, I'm sorry that uh, that you got reined in there, man. Thank you. you that's the correct too. answer. That's my philosophy on life. I'm sorry that I got caught as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, now I'm back, and I paid basically zero attention to the Mariners while I was gone. So today what we're going to do is have my friends and frequent guests slash co-hosts explain everything that happened. Uh, you've already heard them sort of chime in at my at my failures in life. We got Kate Prusser and John Troop in here. Um, guys, I basically filed my recap of the Thursday, July 30th game against the Angels and then skipped town. We're recording now on August 5th, almost a week later, which means that I missed about 10% of the season, unfortunately. So y'all got to help me get back up to speed. Um, first off, though, I guess, how the hell are you guys? It's been a while. Wasn't it unfortunate? I don't We're going to find I'd out. Call I it unfortunate. I mean, I would describe this as the least, the, like, the least offensive four-game losing streak I've ever seen. Where like I, they said it was a four-game losing streak afterwards, and I was like, "Really? I guess it is. <laughs> I guess they did. I guess they did lose, quote unquote, uh, the two three to two games because they scored fewer, quote unquote, runs <laughs> than that the being Alex. the technical definition but, of a loss. Sure. Look. You know, we could we for bookkeeping purposes. <laughs> um, yeah, on, on the jurisprudence of, of wins and losses. Jurisprudence. Uh, I'm not uh, sure you're using that word. Correctly. Very possible. I've heard it both ways. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, okay, Sean. It was, it was an okay weekend. It wasn't a great weekend. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm we happy watch to be a back. lot of Psych in this house. There's a, there's no other shows but Psych in this house. So yes, it is a show. I think the reason why I said unfortunate was just because that's a big, like I want to watch baseball this year, and that was a, a big chunk to miss. I did see the end of the extra inning game they lost to Oakland, where they had the bases loaded against Soria. We turned that on for like the last two innings. And I saw it all fall apart. And then I was reminded, like, oh, yeah, I don't have to do this. <laughs> like, that's always the worst feeling when you turn on a game that's close at the end because you're, like, so excited to see them possibly pull it out. And then the opposite happens. And you just are reminded that you could have avoided it altogether. You know, that kind of extends to things beyond life, too. But for the Mariners, it just happens so frequently that I feel like I should know better by now. 
anyway, <laughs> I've uh, so what we're gonna do is I've gathered some headlines from while I was away, and Kate and John are gonna walk me through the events that happened to spawn these headlines, because um, all of this is beyond my uh, it's beyond the scope of things that I have seen this year. I've heard tangentially about them. And I'm going to try to piece things together. I also maybe should mention that, Kate, you're going to love this too. Uh, like about three hours ago, I was bleeding from the head. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, my work is moving out of our office. What? And today was my day. Today was my day to pack my things. So I was like bent down to look at something. And then when I came back up, I hit my head real good on a shelf and just kind of thwacked it right on the corner. So uh, the head was bleeding, but... Time has passed now and we're all good. So we'll see how the old noggin holds up. But this is going to be a fun exercise in like explaining things to me, both in terms of like, oh, you missed this. Here's what happened. And like, here's how cognitive brain function works. So should be a fun episode, guys. I'm excited. I'm excited to go through it with you. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about, which is something that I had sort of picked up on. I knew that it was an exciting piece of mannersdom. Uh, the headline that I grabbed is from the Seattle Times. It says, Kyle Lewis showing maturity and poise in his 10-game hitting streak. I'm going to assume each of the hits throughout the streak was a six-run home run. Is that correct? Alas, (laughs) no. (laughs) But uh, if you're looking for bright spots, like I would definitely say that Kyle Lewis is one of the bright spots from these early goings with the young kids. Like We all wondered last year about whether or not what he's doing would be sustainable. And then he changed his hitting profile somewhat this year to adjust to what actually Joe Doyle has a great breakdown of this on the site. You can go and look for it. Um, But basically like they're starting to throw him a lot of off speed and he has reacted by being able to kind of punch that in for singles. And ultimately that's not what you want to see Kyle Lewis doing. You want to see him feasting on the fastball and he's not doing that as much as, as you hope. Um, but he's been very productive at the plate. So, um, not the six run homers every, every time up to bat as maybe we expected from the off outside of the season, but still very encouraging. Was it like a pretty, uh, pretty varied collection of hits? Like I'm sure it was their home runs mixed in there. Was he going opposite field? What was, what was going on at the plate for Kyle? There was some, there was, and I mean, I'm trying to think of like what you missed because there was some pull home run. There was some oppo home runs, which is really exciting because um, Kyle Lewis's ability to hit opposite field is something that he honed in college where his college had a very, very short right field. So as a right-handed hitter, Um, I think he's a little bit better at hitting, or he's more trained, at least, in hitting opposite field than you might expect. Um, But yeah, a lot of it is just really, honestly, encouraging, I think, like, taking what the pitcher gives him and doing what he can with it. It, In that way, reminds me a little of the master of this, which is Edgar Martinez, who was able to read where the pitch would be and direct the pitch to where he needed it to be, so... A lot of nice, like, kind of line drives, like line drive singles, right field, left field, spraying the ball all over the place, much more than I would have ever expected Kyle Lewis to be doing. So that's all encouraging. Yeah, a, we want to see the power. Yeah, it's a lot of, like, 
tennis-esque swings almost where where it's like the hits aren't you know he he obviously he absolutely can clobber the ball on occasion um more than occasion even but uh he just has had a bunch of line drives where it's like oh this pitch is outside i hit it the other way oh this pitch is uh you know over the middle of the plate i loop it over the you know over into over the second baseman or over the shortstop's head um you know he's the only spot he hasn't really yet been hitting it fully is sort of down and in and it's uh it's very very encouraging stuff to just see how well he's adjusting um to really almost everything even even as you know like last night he sort of he hit the ball hard a bunch of times and it didn't all turn in you know none of it really turned into a hit well i guess he had one double but yeah it's it is all really better than you would have thought this time last year kyle lewis would be getting well that's great then the hitting streak is over now is that correct i'm hitting streak is over uh he had uh an offer on monday i believe and then came back and uh and went one full four yesterday uh, or I guess yesterday being Tuesday. That is correct. It was an over on Monday, which was <laughs> pretty much a bummer in a game that they lost like 11 to 1. Um, Monday's game was a punch in the throat. I mean, we were expecting losses, but that was a particularly bad one. Um, but then he rebounded with like a really solid double last night. So that was exciting to see. Gotcha. Okay, tangential question before we move to the next one. How are they handling like rest? Is like I'm sure like someone like Lewis is playing pretty much every day, but is it has it been a lot of like cycling guys in and out and moving them around different positions to give certain people days off? More or less. That's that's been the case. Uh, Lewis was I think expected to get a, night, a day off on Monday, and he ultimately has not yet had one. But Seeger got a day off I think on Sunday. Um, they had a lineup yesterday that was uh, over 50% second baseman, um, you know, with just like, you know, they have a, a ton of sort of utility guys and uh, they, they've been sort of spreading guys around, you know, D's played some left field, D made a sliding catch in left field yesterday, uh, you know, giving some of the other outfielders, uh, you know, some time off. And Daniel Vogelbach is getting a little even more time off than most. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a decent amount of rest. Gotcha. Okay, let's move to something else that is sort of rest-related, although not by choice. This headline comes from the Tacoma News Tribune. Mariners place starter Kendall Graveman on 10-day IL with neck spasm. First question, do any of you remember a Mariners player ever having a neck spasm or even any sort of neck problem that kept them out of games? Because I don't. Off, uh, not off the top of my head, at least. Most recent I remember is Nick Rumbelow had a yep. pinched nerve in his <laughs> That's neck. That's who I was trying to think of. of the first, who had all uh, the neck like problems? Six, like four months of my least season. favorite Mariner. <laughs> um, I don't remember any off the top of my head beyond that, but I'm sure there have been some. But yeah, that's that's the most recent one I recall. Yeah, Didn't I think Nelson I've successfully have a neck thing at some point. Oh, he might have. I was going to say, I've repressed all Nick Rumbelow memories, um, but I feel like Nelson Cruz could have had a neck thing. I feel like he had a lot of like issues where muscles that 
regular people didn't have, he was injuring, yeah. you know? And that seems like one that would definitely, <laughs> exactly. definitely pop exactly. up for him. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so second question about Graveman. Did this happen during a game? Like, did he have to be removed mid-inning because his neck was barking? Or how did this go down? No, he gutted through it, which they only said after his start in Oakland. Well, no, they said after his start here that he had had a neck issue and he fought through it at, in Oakland as well. And he was like throwing 98 because uh, he came out the next game and was not throwing as hard as he had previously. So I don't know if he like overextended himself now that he feels good and, you know, the arm is back after Tommy John or, or what's going on. I'm really scared of, of neck stuff. So, yeah, it wasn't like like they took him out in the middle of the game or it was anything dramatic but I'll say that I'm very scared of neck stuff just because I think neck stuff is very um related to back stuff and back stuff is just really hard to get past like there's no surgery that you can have there's nothing that if anyone who struggles with back pain like probably who's listening knows what this is like I've definitely known people who have um, broken their back or, or had some kind of back injury. It just, it, it can really screw you up. That's why I'm worried about Hanniger. I'm also worried about Kendall Graveman. Please get better. Yeah, that is scary. Have any of you ever had a neck issue? I mean, other than the fact that I'm old as hell and like, if I sleep a little weirdly and I wake up the next morning like looking like a fucking Picasso no I mean (laughs) basically it I've I've slept wrong on my neck occasionally and and just like couldn't turn but uh no it's it it is nothing nearly as bad as this where we're like it impacted pitching or doing anything gotcha I think I had a similar thing to it both of you are describing, although maybe to a little more extreme. In high school, I woke up one day after presumably sleeping on my neck all weird and could not turn it at all. Like I was stuck in one neck position, like had to go to school the whole day like that. And then after school, got to the chiropractor, which I know, right? It was freaky because I was, I thought I was, you know, untouchable, but the neck gods for whatever reason didn't want me to feel that way anymore. So I, I, I had like a very painful day. Uh, and then after school, went to the chiropractor. Shout out to my parents for paying for a trip to the chiropractor. And that shit is unbelievable. Oh, my God. I love the chiropractor so much. I know that like they do have, at least in some circles, a bit of a reputation for maybe being like quack doctors. I don't know if you guys have heard this, but some people, I think, don't take <laughs> the chiropractor profession seriously. And I am here to say that they know what they're doing. At least the one that I went to. He got me straightened out so he got quickly you right. and it felt so good <laughs> i think it's the best when they like take your neck and do that that Popcorn? severe crack it is yeah, yeah it is terrifying but there's maybe no better feeling on planet earth than that godspeed to kendall graveman hope he finds a good chiropractor uh he was pitching well though right i think i i mean there was one game i saw before i left where he looked pretty solid and the the velocity is the most encouraging thing so was it like how did they find this neck problem? Was it something like that he went up and told them? Do we have any idea? Like you said, it wasn't really obvious during the game. So I'm curious uh, how this led to an I like a full on IL stint. Not exactly sure. Sorry, I'm also trying to watch the game and Max Stassi has hit another home run. 
Which, like, what are you, it's Max Stasi. Like, he's, he's not, I'm sorry to say, sorry to this man, but he's not good. Oh, it was a bad. Two off Marco then, because that was the last game I saw. He hit a home run off Marco. So this is just like Groundhog Day for me. Yeah, he hit one off the right field foul pole. Yeah. That was, oh, that was Marco. For some reason, I thought that was someone else. You know? uh, the one gosh. constant in my life has been Max Stassi homering off Marco Gonzalez. <laughs> oh my god, what a, a bad constant! <laughs> yeah. No, Graveman, I don't, I don't know. That, you know, it was just kind of something they announced after the game because he looked fine during the game and you know looked even better, honestly. Um, but initially, they were like, "Oh, this won't be that big a deal," and then uh, they today came out and said, "Oh, well, he might miss a couple extra starts, so um, not ideal." But, uh, you know, does mean we'll get some Nick Margavich's starts. Oh. Regrettably, I would love to see some Logan Gilbert starts. Logan Gilbert? Like we'll get that. Yeah. Doesn't look like we're going get, to get that, unfortunately. But there is another silver lining, which leads us to our next headline. Uh, CBS Sports reported this, although I guess lots of people reported this. This was just a headline that I found. Uh, so after Graveman was IL. They called up Joey Gerber, and the CBS Sports headline says Mariners Joey Gerber solid in MLB debut. This is, of course, Lookout Landing podcast guest Joey Gerber. Uh, We had Joey on the show while the Mariners were doing summer camp, so pre-big league debut, pre-big league debut, excuse me, but I encourage you all to listen to that if you want a look into the mind of Gerb Nation. Um, The only things I know about Joey's actual performance came from his tweet, which was fabulous. Uh, He wrote, Four summers ago, I was playing town ball in rural Minnesota after posting a 7-5 ERA my freshman year of college. Last night, I made my MLB debut and faced Albert Pujols. A lot can happen in four years. So that was very touching. Uh, That is what let me know that he had made his debut, and then I traced it back to, oh, Graveman got hurt. Oh, they called up Joey. Oh, he did well. Um, So how'd the kid look? You guys, (laughs) I hope, watched it. Uh, on the television and saw everything that went down. So I want to hear from you. I'm so Pujols was in there. Did he face Trout at all, or was Trout tending to his baby? Uh, he did not face uh, Mike Trout, but uh, he he worked pretty nicely. He was efficient. Uh, he hadn't been super smooth in summer camp, uh, but got that you know got that LL bump from us, obviously, and. Uh, I think there was a note about him. Yes, uh, much like the Colbert bump, camp. there's an LL bump. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just slap an extra L on there. It's us. Uh, yeah, he unfortunately um, didn't have someone to throw to prior to summer camp, it sounds like. So he was doing a lot of his BP uh, work with a tree, uh, which may have impacted his uh, sort of freshness in summer camp. But, he was, yeah, he was in the zone. Uh, he looked funky. Uh, got some pop-ups, just just nice and smooth from from Joey Gerber, uh, which is quite nice. Beautiful. And I mean, sure, I, I mean, would he's probably... I would say, I would say Gerber is not nice and smooth is not a way you'd describe Joey Gerber. That's like, fair. That's fair. He is not smooth. It was, it was, he is. It was he a is a carnival of arms and legs. <laughs> I, I mean, he is a lollapalooza of limbs. He is, he is a no. Tasmanian devil of of body parts, just flying at hitters. Mm-hmm. That's what makes him good. And 
um, you know, I was really encouraged to see versus earlier in summer camp when we'd seen him. I'm very high on Joey Gerber. If I wasn't, I feel like Joe Doyle, who is Joey Gerber stand number one, would kill me in my sleep. So I feel almost required to be. Um, but no, he he's very good. He's very exciting to watch. Uh, but a huge part of that is the the deception that he's able to create. So relievers always kind of have a little bit of an edge when they're coming out for the first time because uh, hitters haven't seen them. They don't have any kind of a scouting report on them. They don't know what that pitcher looks like. So I'm sure that was part of it. But also, like, he just, he came out and I thought he looked dominant. Like, he looked mean. He looked nasty. And I don't think generally any at-bat against Joey Gerber is is a comfortable at-bat. I've heard him described as the most uncomfortable at-bat in the organization. Um, But it really looked like that against big league hitters, which is a great, great thing to see. Yeah, I'm also just such a sucker for for this stuff. And I'm glad that Joey mentioned facing Pujols in the tweet because Pujols debuted on... April 2nd, 2001, which is about a month shy of Joey Gerber's fourth birthday, which is fucking incredible. <laughs> Albert Pujols on that team. On that team, he was playing with Mark McGuire and Bobby Bonilla, <laughs> which is like another connection to a very bygone era. And now my he's facing goodness. Joey Gerber, born in 1997. Oh God, that's hilarious. Um, and Joey Gerber very, you know, I thought respectfully didn't say that he got Albert Pujols out, but he definitely got Albert Pujols to ground out super weakly. So, <laughs> man, viva la youth revolution. Pujols. Pujols' B-ref still lists him as first baseman, left fielder, and third baseman, oh, which yeah. is, I guess, factually correct, but I don't think he's played left field since, like, 2004, maybe. Dude, I would uh, love to see the Angels try Pujols in left field. If they're out of it by the end of the year, let his career come full circle and give him an inning in left. Did Did y'all ever read the like three nights in August? The I think Mike Lupica uh, book uh, is like a Cubs Cardinals game or three game series in like two thousand four or whatever it was. Or, like, I have not. Basically, during it, Pujols, like, they talk about Pujols getting hurt. Basically, he had, like, some sort of arm injury where it was like he pretty much couldn't throw. And so they were like, well, it's not really reasonable to have. They, like, played him one game in left field with it. And their plan was, like, if the ball is anywhere near you, like, if Jim Edmonds can get to it, just catch it and give it to Jim Edmonds. And then he'll throw it in. And or it was like 2003 or something. And then, like, otherwise we'll have, like, Scott Rowland run out to you or uh, Edgar Renteria run out to you. Like, whatever it is, like, just don't throw it. And then after that, they were like, after one game, they were like, ah, we'll just have you play first base. <laughs> screw, screw this. This is not worth it. Uh, but, yeah, since Tommy Lasorda, real, real brainiac. Uh, just you know, just don't have a left fielder who can throw, you know. Wait, Tommy Lasorda was, was the Cardinals or not Tommy manager? Lasorda. Uh, Tony Larusa. Tony Larusa. Sorry. Sorry go. to the uh, Italian. <laughs> Sorry to the Italian-American <laughs> community. 
Hey, hey, who's this guy? Who does he think he is? Tommy, come here. We got a wise guy. Oh, Matthew, you weren't around, but I sent a tweet because the Red Sox played the Yankees in this. And I haven't felt like I've just been grateful for baseball. Right. But like the Yankees played the Red Sox on Sunday night baseball. A-Rod was the commenter. He said some off the wall things, including Gio Urshela is the best third baseman in the AL. Which I cannot say without what? crying yep. and laughter. Because he's done things he A-Rod has never seen at third players. base before. Mm, yeah, I mean, he has said some wild stuff. Um, but it just, for some reason, I had this image of, like, you doing both New York guy and Boston guy and, like, heckling yourself. <laughs> through the court because I want I want one Red Sox fan and one Yankees fan just like on either sides of the stadium. I think you could do that like and still I would love to do that. Maintain <laughs> yeah, social, social distancing and just have one on each side just holler a Donny just hollering at each other from across. That would be content. Hit me up MLB. That yeah, Rob Manfred, if you're listening, I have I have an idea how we can save the season. He is he does listen. He actually sent in a question, but we had to we had to cut it because it, it was nonsensical and really made me question if he even watches baseball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Rob, maybe rein it in a little bit. We know you've got a lot of free time because you're not really doing a whole lot to uh, to further the game of baseball. But the Lookout Landing podcast is not your outlet for frustration, Rob. No. You've got to find something no. else. Um, but anyway, I think I remember seeing that at the beginning of the pandemic, someone pitched that same idea with like each team gets one fan and they just scream at each other all game. And I think that would be really great also in the, uh, in the NBA bubble where you can be like right on top of the court basically and just be screaming like, cause the mm-hmm. mic is picking up everything in there anyway. So if we had just people shouting their opinions unfiltered, yeah. uh, I would definitely think this, that this whole coronavirus sports revival would be a success yeah. and i think you know the farther we go maybe we will be able to do that maybe they'll open up the one fan system that we've been clamoring for who knows say, at last we can get the like mid-game entertainment like the halftime show of it's just spike lee and jack nicholson just taking swings with <laughs> each other uh, just perfect this is what we've needed sorry i had to um i had to time out of the conversation momentarily to watch J.P. Crawford hit a soft single that Mike Trout dove for and missed. And there is a fantastic still of Mike Trout face into the turf at T-Mobile Park with J.P. Crawford. I, I'm so here. Please tell me, Matthew, that you have something to ask about J.P. Crawford because I can't wait to talk about him. You know, I didn't have a headline lined up, but something that came to my attention today, which is right in my wheelhouse, is that uh, J.P. Crawford, starting shortstop for a Major League Baseball team, is also a huge fan of the band Revolution. Um, Kate, do you know anything about Revolution? I do, but only because of Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who uh, plays for the Rangers, who had Uh this really cool walk-up song last year. It was like, oh yeah, and it was like Trust a me, little bit familiar. surf rock. Oh, 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 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never heard yes. of... Re- I mean, I'm an old, so... I'd never heard of Revolution. I looked that song up. I was like, this song slaps, but it actually kind of doesn't, I think. Like, that No, it doesn't slap slaps. at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, they're very anti-slap, I think, as I, from listening to some of their other songs. As That's what I was going to say. I feel like they would be offended or like feel like they've totally missed their mark if you said any of their songs yeah, slap. Because they're totally designed to be like, it's like bonfire music. Oh my God, that's exactly the way to describe it. It's like bonfire music at the beach, totally. Which I feel like yeah. is a is a milieu that J.P. Crawford is very comfortable in. Uh, so very into J.P. Crawford dumping a single in front of Trout. And then actually Dylan Moore followed that up by also dumping a single in front of Trout. So just just Suck real it, proud, real, real proud of the boys here. Fantastic. That song, by the way, is called Attention Span uh, for anyone who wants to. Attention Span, yes. (laughs) For anyone who's trying to up Revolution's um, Spotify account, they might be in a a tough time. Because I saw, so JP JP Crawford tweeted about them and tagged them. So I went to their profile uh, and saw that they had tweeted like, oh, like 11 year anniversary of this album, which is like their biggest album. And I was like, God damn, like they're probably going through some tough times. Because also like 11 years isn't really like a, a tweet worthy anniversary. You know what I mean? Like 10 would make sense. 15, <laughs> 20. Like, hey, don't forget about this album we put out 11 years ago. We'd love if you listened to it. And so actually, I think I listened to Attention Span whenever I saw that tweet. So I was like, oh yeah, I remember that song. I like that song. But uh, you're right. It does not slap at all it's uh it's very Mm-mm, calming mm-mm. very very uh mary moore park music by the way i've seen them perform live there they're a big staple of the mary moore summer concert tour when that was still allowed i'm sure it's shut down this year but i mean i they just came feel like more with like slightly stupid that kind of vibe they were there I, a lot i feel like jp is can you imagine like jp as a philadelphia philly like there is um in Fairmount Park in Philly like there's a big outdoor concert where I, venue where I could like definitely see I think it's the man um where I could definitely see something like that occurring but it just it seems so much more part of our culture like the gorge and uh I don't know we have Saint Michel and we have we have so many outdoor concert spaces and JP is, I think, thoroughly a West Coast kid, and I think he's really, like, he's just kind of in his zone out here, you know what I mean? Like, I just think he's really, I I feel like he's much more comfortable out here than he ever was in Philly. You're talking to two people who collectively have spent uh, under a year, I believe, uh, living outside of the West Coast, so, uh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yes, we got you. Yeah, everyone please wear a mask so J.P. Crawford can go to Revolution concerts again. (laughs) We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. 
subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. So the last headline, I guess, could kind of be along those lines. I'll, I'll segue it in here about someone who looked very uncomfortable at times last year, but now, like J.P. Crawford, appears to be settling in a little bit. This headline is from the Japan Times. You say Kikuchi's strong start wasted as Mariners fall to athletics. Uh, this one is something that I also sort of picked up on just from being on Twitter for like five minutes. Um, whatever night it was, the my timeline made it very clear that Kikuchi was pitching well. And then, you know, four or five scrolls later, oh, here comes the bullpen. And that's when I was like, all right, I know how this movie ends. But um, Kikuchi <laughs> pitching well is, is great. <laughs> that's something definitely worth getting excited over, um, especially against the A's, a team that has good hitters and a team that kind of prides themselves on like good at bats and, you know, heavy air quotes, playing the game the right way, that sort of thing. You're not just up there swinging at everything, trying to get the game over with. So uh, what was working for Kikuchi? Was the was the velo up near the 95, 96, 97 we saw in spring training? Like how was how was his stuff working against Oakland in this game that the bullpen squandered for him? Yes, is the answer. Uh, <laughs> it, it was. I mean, it was. It was all working. It was. The Vila was there again. Uh, I think he, uh, Enosaris is uh, for the Athletic been been doing a lot of writing, both on Vila games as well as uh, sort of new pitches and um, see or. Uh, <laughs> I almost said Seeger because Kyle Seeger just hit a homer. Uh, Kikuchi has covered both those bases. His velocity continues to be about uh, two, almost three miles per hour harder than last year on average on his fastball. Uh, and he just has a cutter now. That's a good pitch and is like 90-91. Um, you know, his slider last year was kind of a challenge uh, for him. And, you know, he, he's had... He's got a wide array of pitches that he's still working on, but uh, the cutter has been both well-located and uh, just much more consistent at the same velocity that his four-seamer was normally last year. So, I mean, it looks like, oh, yeah, this is the guy you would go out of your way to sign even when your team is going to be rebuilding because you think he's going to be a long-term, you know, strong middle of the rotation kind of guy. Like, okay, this is a Yusei Kikuchi. You know, you look at Kikuchi and Marco Gonzalez, you think, okay, there's a rotation here. You know, you, you, you've got the buildings of a rotation. You know, obviously you need to see that longer because Kikuchi had good stretches last year. But, I mean, this just looks so much, so, so, so much better. Wonderful. Yeah, that seems like the platonic idea of Kikuchi, like what we envisioned when the Mariners signed him. I would say it's even more velocity than I expected. I expected the secondaries maybe to be a little sharper than they've shown so far. I was not anticipating the velocity for him to just be like pumping 95, 96 plus. So 
that's pretty exciting. I'm exciting to I'm excited to see where he goes from here, which I've been so on tenterhooks about Kikuchi that it's really exciting to be excited about him again. Yeah, that next start will be, I think, appointment viewing for Mariner fans, um, especially me, because I haven't really seen him pitch at all this year. Um, And I I feel like just that promise of, like, knowing that he can do this can a lot of times outweigh what he actually does. And for that to sort of start reversing is very, very exciting, especially because they're, they're like, true numbers results of this season aren't that important, um, especially when compared to, like, you know, this is a it's a huge year for the eye test, I guess, for the, to to pander to all of our scout listeners. The, the the development and the like things that are hard to quantify are things that I'm like really more interested in this year than like what his final ERA is going to be. Like if he shows that like the velo is here to stay and like that cutter that you mentioned is like an actual pitch, like who cares if you know he leaves a couple of them over the plate sometimes and they get hit for home runs and that balloons his ERA. Like knowing that the ability to hit 98 and also dot a cutter from time to time is much more important for me. So that was the headline that I saw that probably made me the most excited. Cause I think with like Lewis, we know that he's already like pretty exciting and we've seen him do a lot of great things at the major league level. I mean, Graveman getting hurt was a bummer. Joey Gerber, like solid is about what we anticipated, like par for the course sort of thing. Like, you know, especially for a reliever, like one solid inning is, about what you'd anticipate. But for Kikuchi to have like a fully strong start against a good team was the thing that made me the most joyful upon my return. So thank you, Yusei Kikuchi, for that little spark of joy in this otherwise uncertain time. Uh, Should we move to questions now? We got a couple good questions from our listeners, and I want to shout them out. Uh, These are pretty related to some of the things we've talked about, but some of them are um, not, which is always great. So uh, I want to start with Eamon Smith, maybe Eamon Smith, at Jin and Yusei, which I believe is a reference to the Nashville Predators Finnish goaltender Yusei Saros, if my, if my Googling skills uh, held up correctly. Uh, out of the young players. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Jin and J-U-U-S-E. And then when you Google that, this goalie named Yusei Saros pops up. Wow. So. Yeah, this guy's maybe a Nashville Predators fan, maybe just a fan of Finnish goaltenders. Uh, I don't know, but great or, name or anyway. Or just Thank excellent you. sports, excellent sports punnery, which I, I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Any anything is possible. Eamon slash Amen, if you're listening, please let us know where your Twitter handle comes from. But uh, your question was also great um, and a good one for me to ask uh, both John and Kate. Out of the young players not named Kyle Lewis this year, who is impressing you the most? Uh, I know for me, in the games I saw before I left, uh, J.P. Crawford looked very good, both defensively and offensively. Um, so if you want to piggyback on that and tell me what J.P. has been doing, or if you want to go another route and maybe give some shine to someone we haven't mentioned yet, uh, the floor is all yours to uh, heap praise upon the young players. Uh, I mean, I think I have to heap praise upon JP Crawford. I mean, we've talked about that, but I just, I was suspect of him when he came over because of the defense and then he cleaned up the defense. And this year I was like, well, I'm, I'm suspicious of the bat. And so far I have been so impressed with JP has always been lauded for 
knowing the strike zone. And he has really good K to BB numbers throughout. But I was just like, is that going to be enough at the major league level? And, you know, I think that J.B. Crawford really has enough. Like, he has enough to be a good MLB shortstop. He's not going to light the world on fire with his power. But he's got, I think, above average power for a shortstop if he can also hold down that defensive side of it. And, I mean, I know Evan White is struggling with the bat right now, but he is such a force field at first base. And I really think it's improved JP's play in a lot of senses. Because uh, JP's skills are, he's super rangy, he's super athletic, he can get to anything, and he's just, he'll go vacuum something up and he'll make a throw and like, maybe it's not the most online throw, but he feels confident in throwing it because he knows that Evan White is either going to take it and make a really good play on it, or he's at least going to keep it from going into the stands and being an extra base. So he's emboldened. I think it's improved his shortstop play. Like, I think J.P. Crawford is like a dark horse, not, probably not MVP candidate, but I, I think that there there's going to be a lot of national attention on J.P. Crawford by the end of this year. And to me, I, I just think that's extraordinary considering kind of Philadelphia essentially gave up on him. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I mean, MVP I, candidate I, got me excited. I want to hear what John has to say. Yeah, I, I fully agree with Kate around uh, Crawford being the most uh, sort of day in, day out impressive player um, and, and exciting young guy. Um, I, I think, you know, the, maybe the good way of, of framing it would be like, you'll if, if J.P. Crawford can keep this going, like, J.P. Crawford will play in some in, in an all-star game or a few all-star games, and that would be an amazing thing. Like, that would just be coming out of this year and knowing, oh, we got a shortstop. Like, that, and, like, a good shortstop. Like, that would be so big. Yeah, and, like, taking the pressure off Noel V. Marte having to be a shortstop in the future. Yeah. Um, So I would put uh, Lewis, obviously, really impressive. I will say I have been uh, really pleased with Shed Long, who certainly has not been, you know, staggering by by any stretch, but he's just been really solid uh, and, and has looked like, okay you know he's not an amazing second baseman but he's made most of the like regular plays they've turned double plays pretty well and he has just continued to be a solid above you know a little bit above average hitter um and i mean that is really in concert those two being just like good dependable players is such a boon to think of like we're watching a middle infield that is going to very reasonably work together and be together for the next three four maybe even more years uh and and that that is a good thing is is something the Mariners haven't had in I mean other than Gene Segura and Robinson Cano which is a very different combo 
you know, that has not been a sort of point of stability for, for uh, you know, for, for a youth group uh, in, in quite a while. And again, I don't think you can underplay the role that Evan White plays in all of this, even though the bat is struggling this so far in his first yeah. exposure to, you know, kind of this higher level pitching. I, I think that there's a clear, you know, all of his infielders, Shed, JP, even Seeger, like they feel very emboldened to pitch it over to him and you know, I think, like, even with Seeger, I don't know what his future looks like with the club, but he's hitting. I mean, he's hitting the cover off the ball right now. So he just hit a huge three-run home run to put the Mariners ahead in this game. Like, you know, if they can just hold on to Seeger long enough until Marte is ready, that's still the infield of the future. I mean, he he was on pace to be a four-win player last year for for how well he played. He just you know missed the first few months with an injury, and like continues to be after his like visible like it, in it is still overwhelming just how different he looks physically. Like he just looks so good. He looks like a better base runner than he did at any point earlier in his career, even. So, I mean, yeah, that is, you can watch almost every single player on the roster right now, really other than, like, Marco Gonzalez, and think, this guy has something to prove, and I, I so many of them are proving it in, in, in uh, you know, so and so many of, like, the core ones are proving it, Um that, that it makes me very happy. I've been really happy watching these games. It's why, that, you know, that when I said, like, the 3-2 the losses didn't feel like a four-run or a four-game losing streak. Like, a lot of the key guys were doing really well. Yes, I think even Marco, awful, like, honestly, I think even Marco feels like he has something to prove. Like, I don't think Marco feels like he gets the kind of accolades he should get. Marco has a chip on his shoulder, well, and I think... He's always trying he to, like, is. go out there and, and prove that he's better than what people think he is. I guess I don't feel like I need to see more from Marco Gonzalez. All I need from Marco Gonzalez is for Marco Gonzalez to continue being this what he is. I needed sure, almost Sure, but I think Marco feels like to he be has better to than, more. Sure, that, absolutely. I, I fully agree with that, and that's part of why he has continued to be successful for despite, you know, the type of pitcher he is, but, like, Every other player really on the roster had to do more than what they'd done, uh, you know, the year before to make me, you know, to, to make the club and to make fans and to make people looking and analyzing the team feel like, okay, there's something here. And plenty of them, obviously, since they're four and eight or whatever, are not performing that well, but enough of them are that I feel good about. Uh, you know what the past few, you know, week or two has been cool i actually i want to combine these next two questions because they're kind of in line with what you were talking about um, especially regarding kyle seager so we got some trade questions uh, one of them is from our own anders jorstad 
What do you? Th- who do you think are trade chips the Mariners could dangle at the deadline? And then Brandon Nichols came in a little more specific. Does the shortened season make it more or less likely for a Seager trade? Or do you see a short-term friendly extension as more likely given the empty hole of third-base prospects? So, Kate, you mentioned, you know, if Crawford pans out and is the shortstop of the future, that could mean, oh, we can play Noel V. Marte at third base, which then could also mean, oh, we don't have to keep aging Kyle Seager on the roster just to fill the third base position. So I'm wondering if you've thought about this, all the sort of machinations of the left side of the Mariners infield going forward. Um, Seager playing really well so far also makes this kind of interesting question. So let's start with, do either of you think that Kyle Seager gets traded this year slash does the shortened season make it more or less likely in your opinion? What do you think? Uh, I think I don't, I mean, Seeger has famously the poison pill in his concert contract. So I, and there's a, there are a lot of people who play the position he play. Like Seeger's not an attractive trade chip in any way, shape or form. Um, I think it's really possible now that they just hold on to him and make a long-term deal, not a long-term deal with him, but, like, make a deal with him that kind of covers the twilight years of his career. He's, what, he's 32 now? Is that right? Is Kyle Seager? You were asking the wrong person. 32 years old? He is 32, yeah. He'll turn 33 this winter. Yeah, so, I, I mean, what, you're looking at three-ish more years where he's productive? I, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, It's hard to say. I th- it's hard to say. I think it would be rough for him to go out and get anything better than what the Mariners could presumably give him um, as far as, like, a lot of money, <laughs> a couple of years... Um, he's already pretty well set because of the the money he's gotten, you know, at some point I think it, it kind of becomes about familiarity and, um, I think if there was a team in Charlotte, North Carolina, we'd be talking about this differently. Uh, but there's not, uh, there's not necessarily a hometown team for him to go to. Um, why not just kind of stick with what he knows and they have a hole and could use him and you know can kind of like grandfather him into being the veteran voice on the roster when but he's still obviously like pretty productive there's a dh spot open we assume like volovac might not be moving forward with the team sadly but like you know there's room for kyle seager in seattle over the next few years so I forget what question I was answering exactly, but I I think Kyle Seeger stays. It was about trades, right? I, I think as far as yeah. trades go, like, I would say any position player is basically really unlikely. Um, I think there's, if Graveman wasn't hurt, he would have been a really good candidate. Uh, Walker might still be a good candidate for a trade. Um, any of the pieces that they see as useful out of the bullpen, which are honestly at this point, probably not many, 
Um, but no, I don't. It's going to be audition season <laughs> yeah. for the bullpen. I don't. Like, Matt, Matt McGill, get out there. <laughs> get on out got. there. Dan Altavilla, come on down. I mean, that's, I don't, I don't expect to see a ton of movement one way or the other, honestly, except I think there are a lot of clubs that are short on pitching or are coming up on, on pitching emergencies um, that could be desperate enough to take some of our guys. So that's the movement I'd expect to see if there is any movement. Yeah, I think McGill is the most, like, if you're just looking at the roster, I think Matt McGill is the most likely player to be traded for 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 a positive return of some sort. Um, he's, like, he's just been a good reliever since being in Seattle and has looked this year like a good reliever his entire time. Like, he just is the only person that's super trustworthy in the bullpen right now uh taiwan only having one year i wonder how teams will look at that especially if they're trading for a guy in a like kind of weird season will people treat it as serious is he a guy a team would want to trade for and start in a playoff game like what would you know does a team trade for a rental in a season where the playoffs could abruptly end due to factors out of their control like how does that you know affect their their interest uh, I will say with Seeger um, I think the point you touched on Kate about specifically being at a position that is really deep right now is a is a underrated one in addition to sort of the poison pill component like almost every contending or would-be contending team right now has a good third baseman um like you know the yankees the uh you know the cubs the twins uh the white Sox, the a's the astros the rockies the dodgers like every single every single major sort of contending club has a really rock solid guy even you know the angels like Seeger probably is the fourth best third baseman in the division so unless you find a club that either has an injury or like is the Braves and the Braves really really don't believe in Austin Riley and say screw it we'll take this veteran for the next two years that's really the only way that I could see a team saying, okay, we'll, we'll pay the money on this guy because this is a clear, huge upgrade for us and we need to win. Do either of you know Kyle Seeger's middle name? I have just discovered Durr. it when I was, yeah. What the hell is that? Yeah, D-U-E-R-R. Durr. Kyle Durr-Seeger. Kyle Durr-Seeger. Durr is that how it's pronounced? No. Durr? 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 Dear, dear. I'm sure uh, you know my dad's middle name is. I should not say that because maybe that's like a social security question thing. Anyway, my <laughs> my dad's middle name is a family uh a, f- a family name that. So I assume that Durr is probably a middle name, a family name, and also Kyle change that or don't let people know that or something because. Yeah, I feel like people could hack his life with that. 
You think, you think yeah, Kyle Seeger's a, a one, two, three, four uh, birthday? Oh um, my God! I think pa- I think Kyle Seeger's password is probably password. So yes. I, I thought he was a no internet was, guy. Yeah, I was gonna say my joke was he just has converted all of his payment into gold bars <laughs> that are in the basement. They're like buried underneath the pool in his North Carolina home. Uh, it's not built yet, so. though. It's not done. Like, and also, well, I think his, I think his had wife, to build the underground complex. His wife is savvy enough. Protect Julie, I think Julie is savvy enough that she'll she'll take care of all that. I I bet she's fixed Sir. things. But yes, if left to his own devices, I think Kyle Durseger would be the most hackable person on the planet. <laughs> Which we do not condone, by the way. Please do not go hacking <laughs> Kyle Seeger's no, finances. Don't. <laughs> we need we need to convince him to stick around. It would be really fun if the whenever this this wave crests and the Mariners have either their next playoff team or just an, a good, exciting young team. If it's like all the young guys plus old man Seeger, like I would love that. Just personally, I think Kyle Seeger would love that too. But who knows? I can't claim to know anything about a man whose middle name is Durr. Let's go last question and get out of here. We got one from Anthony Peck, who is talking defense. I love it. He says, who do you think plays center field when both Kalanick and Lewis are on the roster? Uh, I think most of us, myself for sure, were surprised to see Kyle Lewis as the everyday center fielder this year. I thought Malik Smith would just kind of have that. Um, on legacy and just having more center field experience in the big leagues. But Lewis has seemed to do all right. I saw the the clip of him robbing the home run. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Both of you were much more tuned in than I am. But Kelnick has been playing center field in the minors, right? Whereas Lewis came up as mostly a corner outfielder and then got here and they were like, center field it is. So you would think that the natural center fielder, Kelnick, would be the candidate there. But I want to know what you think after what we've seen from Lewis so far. They they did, uh, like many minor league outfielders, the the trick with Lewis was everyone viewed him, SWAT who watched him was generally thinking he will need to move to right field, but teams tend because to he's still very large, like in center field. Let's be it's because Lewis is large. He's a large human. He's like yeah, what he, six five. He looked like an Olympic volleyballer going up to Robert Homer, <laughs> where he just like he backed up to the wall, jumped straight up, like both uh, two hands up, and just like caught it like you know like your dad was telling you to catch the ball properly when you're four, like uh, like squeeze it with two hands now, uh, like you know if, if he was going up to like defend a, a shot in basketball, like it would have been an op- it would not have been a foul, like that was clean, arms are straight up, like. It yeah, was bad. The Roy Hibbert. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Kelnick was viewed as more likely to stay, but they both were playing a lot of center field. Lewis just, I mean, because of how much his injuries and the rehab from his injuries hampered him, he didn't ever really look that fluid. And it just was like, okay, well, he's, he's probably going to be a right fielder. And he was already probably going to be a right fielder, as Kate said, because he was so big. Um, I still would say Kelnick's a more likely center fielder, but they're not. Uh, Kelnick's just faster. I mean, that that's really what that comes down to. Um, you know, Lewis hasn't looked great or 
bad out there, I, I think he would probably be okay as long as he sort of maintains his athleticism. But at some point, I think you will see him and Kelnick sort of trade off potentially uh, somewhat, uh, maybe next year. And uh, I, I would I would guess Kelnick gets more of those reps. I agree. Cool. I think Kelnick is uh, just because he's smaller, he's speedier, he's rangier. Um, and also, I think Kelnick just has a really good uh, sense of how to read balls in the air. Like, he makes a lot of stuff look easier than I think it is. Um, he's gifted in center field. So, um, when I watched Kelnick coming up as a prospect, I watched him play corner outfield because he wasn't one of the elite center fielders. And I think that, like, at the Perfect Game National Classic uh, at Petco Park in 2018 or whatever it was. Um, and so I, I developed this idea that Kelnick wasn't a center fielder. But I think that's wrong. That's very wrong. And it's a it's a good example of, like, why you shouldn't determine a player's ceiling off of showcases because they're playing it. So Kelnick, I think, is a perfectly acceptable center fielder in the major leagues. It's just he wasn't in a showcase environment. Like, there were guys who were rangier and better than him, but who don't have his, I think, batting profile. So... Yeah, I, I, I like Kelnick for center, personally. Yeah, I think it's kind of, I mean, it, it is it is sort of the situation where it's like none of the current, like, dream center field, or dream outfielders the Mariners have right now are like, oh, wow, this guy's going to rob, you know, rob the ball all the time and, and like, make incredible plays in the outfield kind of guys. It is... You know, it's two guys who you think, okay, either of these guys are going to be perfectly acceptable in center field, and that's not, you know, you're not going to have an issue one way or the other. Um, well, I mean, and, and, Bishop and so is I, by I Bishop is by far the best. Bishop is your sure, Kevin but, Kiermaier, but, but I wouldn't consider him right. But yeah, but, but the I'm bat. thinking like Lewis Kelnick. And Julio, Fraley. like, of those three, who would be the, like, right, but, like, the guys who are expected to be the starters, you know, if, if you're looking at, like, the 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 guys, uh, you know, those are, you know, you have the Bishop um, and, and maybe, you know, maybe Fraley, where it's like, okay, well, these guys maybe can play center a little bit better. I don't know about Fraley for that, but certainly Bishop, but the whole package if you're putting your best three guys out there in a in a couple of years it's probably Kelnick Lewis Rodriguez and what is the center you know who is the true center right. fielder of those i think it's it's more of a it's more sort of split there right now but we have a couple of years to figure it out you and beyond that there's class a hanging out there who is a true i think That's center true. fielder hanging out a couple of years below them And Dylan Moore might just take the spot because I guess he's just great. <laughs> yeah, Dylan Moore just hit a double. He Dylan just hit Moore. another double. 
Dylan Moore. Fucking Dylan Moore. Where does it come from, Dylan Moore? I am thrilled that... We're going to have to do a whole episode. It's going to be like um, an episode of uh, Unsolved Mysteries, and it's just like us trying to like dig into Dylan Moore's power. Like, ah. It is outrageous. Like charts and graphs. Charts and graphs on the booty because I don't, it's not even a big booty. Like, where does it come from, Dylan Moore? I do appreciate that his family, I mean, by this I mean his sister, appears to have taken it up and thinks it's funny. So I'm glad, I'm super glad that uh, the the Moore family finds it as amusing and, and perhaps confounding as, as I do. Honestly, though, there are not a lot of women broadcasters. Put me out there. No one is talking. I will guarantee you no one is talking about Dylan Moore's butt. It's a subject I feel like is in the interest of the populace. Someone needs to tell this truth. We get through the stories. <laughs> Let Kate talk about butts on TV. I've been saying it for years. <laughs> Hashtag Let Kate talk about butts on TV. Oh my God! Yes. That's a, that's a, yeah. We're gonna have to clean that one up because <laughs> no, no, it's good. This is the campaign we needed, and we'll check back next week to see if it's taken off. Hopefully, it'll have trended several yeah. times over and become a write-in candidate in the 2020 mm-hmm. election. We're going to need to do some grassroots campaigning, but I think if anyone can do it, it's us three. And with the power of Dylan Moore behind us, anything is possible. That's true. And we mean behind us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hate to see him go, but love to watch him play baseball. <laughs> we'll work on that, too. We'll figure out a campaign. <laughs> <slogan. is> so <laughs> bad. It's dark Anywho, sorcery. It's dark sorcery. It, is. it really is. If anyone wants to write a fan post, actually, that would be a great yes. place to start on how Dylan Moore manages to hit the shit out of the ball despite looking like a, a like a solid piece of driftwood that has been like waterlogged <laughs> and is like one swift kick away from falling apart, but it's still holding up real well. <laughs> but anyway, thank you as always for those who sent in questions. Uh, again, sorry for the delay while I went to find myself in Idaho and came back. Mostly empty-handed with a speeding That's ticket. That's all right. You're just like in your own John Krakauer novel. I I, I appreciate. I honor your journey. John Krakauer. I know who that is. Thank you for that's, all of your that's the, that's contributions. The, there's an alternative name for this podcast. No, John Krakauer. That's like the Into the Wild guy. Is it not? I think that's Jack London. I believe that's Jack London. No, no! You managed to pick a book that I've actually... Yeah. This is not doing much for my I don't read. Come on, it's that guy who writes all that about Chris McCandless. Come on! Uh, You know who I'm talking about. I mean, this story by John Krakauer. Yeah, Into Thin Air. Into Thin Air. Okay. I was thinking of Call of the Wild. Yeah, yeah Call of the Wild. He also yeah. wrote Into the Wild. Stop <laughs> gaslighting me! Kate, okay, I don't know. Books was, don't even exist where I'm from. Being wrong. You, yes, you're right. But you both you both tried to... <sighs> Obviously. Listen, anyway. In the words of DMX, Shorty can't eat no books. And that's how I feel. <laughs> 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 
Matthew, I thought that you would get this after the release of Folklore and like the the Walden like retreat. Okay, fine. Yeah, fine. that released while he was in the fucking woods. Never mind. Never mind. Also, it's just like, me over here on my Walden. You're trip. you're ranging towards extreme white people <laughs> shit as well. Taylor Swift and, and books about the woods. <laughs> Taylor Swift and John Krakauer on the worst AP English course ever. It's fair. It's fair. <laughs> okay, well, if we're not canceled by next week for... Um, as we should be. For, yeah, for assigning books. extremely whitewashed material. <laughs> which, I mean, Dylan Moore, Dylan Moore is in there, but I think... You know, if we did specific research on his butt, if there's anything that he has uh, a Puerto, Puerto Rican, Rican wife, wife has taught him I mean, about the power. Yeah, he I was walks say, up to Bad Bunny. That, I feel like Dylan Moore is an ally. Maybe she's taught him like the power of the hips, you know, a famously mm. ignored group by white mm, people. Mm-hmm, but the Caribbeans mm-hmm. had it unlocked for a true, while. So maybe true. maybe that's been part of it. Um, so, yeah, do some research on that to all of our listeners. Um, we would love to just maybe do a whole episode of questions about dylan moore so if you want to cue those up for us we are the group that can handle this yeah you're not getting this from the mainstream media they don't want you to hear about dylan moore's butt no (laughs) but we do we of course are lookout landing uh follow everything on lookoutlanding.com you can follow lookout landing on twitter you can follow me at m robertson 22 Kate and John are just at their names, Kate Prusser and John Troopin. And uh, until next time, I mean, follow all of your local speed laws, I guess, <laughs> and continue to watch. Or maybe just the, don't the drive 98. Do maybe just that, Matthew. Well, that's well, that to do that would be to obey the speed law, which is what I said. So whatever that means to you, I guess, listener, find 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 your speed is, is going to be the, the tagline for this podcast. And I hope you listen in the future. We will talk to you whenever we talk to you next. I have no trips to Idaho planned, so we should be on a fairly regular schedule. But do not quote me on that. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. Good friggin' Bye. Bye. Ears, days, makes no difference to